In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the news that James Harden could miss up to a month with a right foot tendon strain, breaking down what the Sixers need to do to get back on track and survive over the next month without him. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman, joined for the second time in two days, uh, as it turns out, as the previous podcast we did yesterday was recorded legitimately less than two hours before news came out that James Harden would miss up to a month. So most of the topics we discussed just aren't quite as relevant anymore. Uh, so we're redoing the pod. It's not the first time we've had to redo a pod because news invalidated, by the way. Um, this happens more than I think you would expect. In fact, I think it's probably happened enough that I think some longtime listeners probably think we're doing a bit, uh, but it's, it's not a bit. I promise you. Apparently we have pretty bad timing, pretty bad timing. Probably not the last time. Not as bad as timing well. as Nick Castellanos has at the plate right now, but you know, pretty bad timing nonetheless. Well, yeah, now we have a, a gut punch world series oh loss God. in it the, is, uh, it's incredible. The roller coaster ride that is a baseball playoff series and a baseball playoffs. And I think intellectually, I knew that, but just going through it when you actually care about it and there are stakes, it's just, I mean, you're sitting there and look, I think Houston's a better team. I think they've been a better yeah, team but that doesn't matter. throughout the series. I think they've played better baseball and they've made fewer mistakes, especially over the last two games. But you're just sitting there watching there in the eighth inning and Schwarber just completely destroys a ball right down the first baseline, like right on the bag. But the guy just happens to be standing right at that exact spot because he's holding a runner on at first base. You know, if it were second and third instead of first and third, Schwarber's looking at a two out, two run double to take the lead. But instead, it's uh, it's the final out. The inning's over and you're heading the ninth down a run. And it's a gut punch, man. It's just it's devastating. That game sucked because it was the first time I thought, oh, man, I think the Phillies generally played a better game than them. But they just were so timely with. Those, oh my God, like the McCormick play. Like it's in unbelievable. Field dribblers. Oh, it, oh. yeah, no. And, and look, they, I got, I, I tweeted that the, the Phillies hadn't had a seeing eye single in a week and a half. And a lot of people are like, well, that's what happens when you make contact, which on the one hand, I think is partly true. Hoskins and, and Castellano specifically just drive me insane right now. Like the Astros pulled off a hit and run where if Castellanos was up there, he'd be, you know, opening up and trying to pull a ball out the left field. Uh, their approach hasn't been great, but you were also like 15 minutes away from removed from that Schwarber play where like he legitimately crushed that ball and the Astros are getting these blue pits and it's just, ugh. the r randomness of baseball is both a blessing and a curse for sure. And we're ex experiencing that in a big way, in a big way. Yeah, I looked, that, that game sucked. <laughs> I just, that's all I have is that it was torture to watch. Uh, definitely could have won it. And yeah, it sucks. My brother texted me and my brother, he's a, a much bigger baseball and basketball fan than he is of the other sports. And he was pretty young, like 12, the last time the Phillies were in the World Series. And he texted me last night and he was basically questioning whether sports do more emotional damage than good in the long run. I don't think he truly believes that. Like he's not going to give up being a, a, a baseball fan or a sports fan in general. But he's certainly feeling the stakes and the weight of fandom very strongly right now. Um, and it's a pain and disappointment that I'm not sure he's really felt before as a sports fan. 
And I was just like, you know what? Welcome to being an adult, buddy, because this is what your life is about. This is what sports will do to you. It can feel like an almost toxic relationship at times. And that's especially true when you're just closest to being happy. Uh, it's It gets worse as you get more and more invested. And I certainly felt that in a big way last night uh, with the Phillies. You know, and you and I got into covering basketball because we love basketball. And doing it professionally, it changes the way you look at it. It has to. And there are times where I wonder if I miss sort of like the purity of just being a fan. And I think after last night, you know, it's like, you know what? Maybe being forced to be objective and forced to be almost dispassionate. Maybe that just sort of saved me from some heartbreak in the end. Maybe that's a good thing. And I think I felt that for the first time last night because of the Phillies. That was tough. I mean, like, yeah, I was so desperate for last night's game. Like, I, I was high-fiving people in the bar on strikes <laughs> on... Like, I'm, I'm high-fiving people on strikes. Uh, you know, it just, it's just a torture. <laughs> it's, it really it's unbelievable. Is. It really is. It's, it's the way my, my, my other brother, who's a big hockey fan, uh, he gets with, with hockey, with playoff hockey. Playoff hockey, I don't even really care about hockey, to be honest. Uh, I've been a three-for-four guy most of my life, probably because I never played hockey. Uh, but watching how stressed he gets with every pass and every line change and every save. And it, I, I feel you. I feel you, man. It's tough. I, at least basketball, it feels like some team is up by 20 and the, the real like high pressure moments feel like they are fewer and there's a slow build up to it. Whereas with baseball, it just like it crushes. I, it crushes. I followed all of them. I, I think baseball is the worst one. <laughs> basketball, like. At least, at least in basketball, there's a rhythm to it. It's yeah. like, yep. you know, uh, not every uh, in baseball, every pitch is almost a disaster, but probably not going to be a disaster in basketball. You know, they're going to score 48 times during a game, yeah. both of them. And yep. whoever shoots more free throws or makes more threes or whatever wins. So, yeah. Well, sometimes a team that, that shoots more threes wins. That didn't happen the other night uh, against the Wizards. We mentioned this on the never-to-be-released podcast. The Sixers outscored the Wizards by 42 points beyond the three-point line and lost, and I can't remember ever seeing a discrepancy like that, but that is because the Sixers' defense transition half-court was disastrous. And we had a pod lined up where we talked about all the reasons why it was disastrous, and we talked about uh, you know, not matching up well in transition, not communicating, not trying to scram back when you had a miss, when the other team had a mismatch, and 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 whether or not they should have been playing Paul Reed instead of Montrezl Harrell. We had a a forty minute discussion about all of those fun topics. Now that's not real. I don't want to say it's not relevant because I don't think the defense is going to magically get good. It might get better without Harden, and that's something we'll talk about. But now I think it might get better. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess we will transition to to basketball now, unless you have anything else you would like to add on the Phillies being down in a 3-2 hole. I got nothing, man. Just sadness. whole lot of sadness. I, I feel like, like I, I told my brother, it's a large portion of what sports is. Um, it is very tough to actually be that last team standing. And every time you get close, it is devastating. All right, so James Harden, and I have the wording up here now been diagnosed uh, with a, a tendon strain in his right foot we don't know exactly which tendon that is and when you start talking to doctors that could play an impact on the severity and what he's going through and how long it could take the team said that there will be a reevaluation in two weeks now 
as most of you listening to podcasts, I'm sure are aware, but I feel like needs to be stated. A reevaluation in two weeks does not mean a return to play in two weeks. Initial reports from Woj and Shams were that he would likely miss up to a month. Even so, if you have been listening to this podcast long enough, you know that that does not guarantee he will come back in a month. Setbacks do happen. These are not always predictable. That's true for all teams. That feels like that is especially true for this one. So, you know, the Sixers are not exactly lighting the world on fire right now. They are four and five through nine games with the seventh ranked offense. According to basketball reference, we usually use clean glass. I have basketball reference. I just happen to have it up. So I'm looking at it. So mentioning that there's a difference. Uh, apologies to Ben Falk. It was fifth yesterday on cleaning the okay. glass. Uh, and their defensive rating is currently 22nd. So I guess we'll just start this off with what are your high level things that you were looking at now that they will have to navigate a month without James Harden? Well, first off, I think the the easy thing to say, and I think it's it's fair to wonder, was he playing too many minutes? Sure, everyone's right? playing too many minutes. <laughs> I mean, they have the look, deepest J- team that they've had. When we say that, we mentioned a couple podcasts ago that we're not saying like the seventh, eighth, and ninth guys are barn burners, but you have a lot of guys who could theoretically be seventh, eighth, or ninth type guys. And for Embiid and Harden to be playing this many minutes, yeah, I think they're playing them all too many. Even Maxi too, and I think we take Maxi for granted because he's so young and has so much energy and doesn't seem to get injured, but they're playing them all a little too much. Yeah. 37.8 minutes, I believe, per game for a 33-year-old coming off Soft know, tissue his hamstring, yep. bothering him for two years, basically. Yeah. I think that's that's going to be fair to point out. And it was, did you uh, did you actually see when it happened? I don't think, like, like I was told it just happened during the game. Yeah, but it was weird. Harden, well, because he like, had that thing where he bumped knees at one point. Yeah, he had like a couple nicks and bruises. I'm not necessarily sure it was any of those, or at least I don't know if they believe it was any of those. And he kept playing. Yeah. Like he he played the entire game. So it's one of those things where, you know, and this this goes into why he's probably playing a lot of minutes. James Harden is a guy who plays a lot of minutes. That's that's what he has been throughout his career. And even as he gets older, he is still a guy who plays a lot of minutes. That said, I think you, you're going to have to look at that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think he should be playing 38 minutes a game. I think, like, you know, whittle that down to, like, 33, 34. You, you should have a deep enough team to do that. That would be my first thing. Uh, I think the second thing is, if this team is as deep as they said they were before the season. If Joel Embiid is back to playing at his normal level, if Tyrese Maxey just keeps on doing what he's doing, this should not be the end of the world. It's like, look. No, and you're only talking about like 14 games. Losing James Harden is is not a positive thing. I'm not trying to make it seem like that. Like they're going to automatically be fine because guess what? To start this season, they have been a disappointing lack of energy type of yep. team. And if that continues, then this could be a problem. But they have enough here to where, you know, if they're playing well, they have experience doing this. They did this for two thirds of the season last year. So, you know, Embiid, hopefully he's, he's over his flu and, and that'll happen. Like, look, they're going to have to play certainly a, a much different way. James Harden was second in the NBA in time of possession and that's only because Luka Doncic like literally has the ball in his hands the entire game. So he has the ball in his hands more than anybody but him. That's going to change how you're going to yeah. play. Like you're going to 
going to have to play faster, going to have to move the ball, going to have to post up Joel Embiid more. It's going to have to be more of like the old Sixers, you know, dribble handoff type of offense because... And you're look, not going to have that guy in Seth or JJ who used to really thrive off of Joel Embiid dominating the ball. Now, the benefit is that you don't have to worry about Seth on defense, which, again, we'll get into when we probably start talking about the starting lineup changes. Um, but yeah, the, offensively, it's a little different. And look, it just it turns into me. Obviously, Doc. Obviously, the the rotation. There's going to have to be adjustments made by everybody. You know, maybe Thibel and Shake seems to me like the guy who's going to get the the biggest bump in minutes from where yeah. he was. Just because one, he was probably the first guy off the uh, off the regular rotation, and two, like he can dribble the ball. He can actually mm-hmm. dribble, so yeah. that that matters. And and in losing Harden, you can fill into that spot, but. To me, this boils down to two people. Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey. Can you keep this team afloat? I think they can, honestly. <laughs> I do. Uh, but that's what I'm going to be looking for. Yeah, uh, I, I would I would agree with your two people. I would add Shake and Melton to that group as well um, because they have played so far eight possessions over the course of the nine games without one of Harden or Maxey on the floor. So they really haven't had to worry about a third ball handler. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't really remember all eight of those possessions. I'm guessing a bunch of them probably came in garbage time. So they have not really had to worry about another person handling the ball, breaking a press, anything, getting them in their offense, anything of that sort. I so, remember them. They were magical <laughs> possessions. <laughs> I actually think their their offensive rating is pretty good in those because I think they shot like 70%, but it doesn't matter. Oh, enough, it's enough. It's, it's eight possessions. Uh, um. Yeah, so who 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 will be that? I think it'll probably be Shake. I hope it's Shake, because quite frankly, I don't like D'Anthony in that role, or at least not what I've seen so far. I don't like D'Anthony in that role. But what decision does that go to? Does he try to lean on D'Anthony maybe more than he should as a point guard type role? Yeah, I, th- I think there's going to be. But to your point, like, all right, Tyrese, like you have been improving leaps and bounds. I just, in the podcast we're not going to release, I just praised the fact that I thought he was making incremental steps as a floor general and distributor. Uh, and, and recognizing rotations and his outlet passes. Well, now we need we need him to prove that on a much bigger scale, on a much larger sample size. Uh, I think he will be up to the task. And, you know, it's sort of weird in that Maxi has never, you. a lot of times you think like, all right, let's put Maxi on with Embiid without Harden and let him cook. And a lot of times he hasn't really cooked. And the defense of those groups has always been kind of bad as well. So now you have a chance to put a pretty optimal defensive lineup around them. You know, you, you assume Melton's going to start alongside them with Tobias, with Tucker. That's a team that should be able to compete better defensively than the starting lineup that is going out. But is Tyrese going to be able to, to elevate his game? It'll be interesting because this is really the first time he'll have that chance since Harden's acquisition. I Look, that kid's amazing. He's just, like we talked about the way he put up 32 points or whatever in the second game against the Wizards, and it looked completely effortless, especially there. Felt like he could have gotten more, yeah. honestly. Yeah. yeah, a lot of times you feel like he should be pressing the issue. I'm, I'm excited to watch him play. I'm excited to watch him play. Definitely. And look, it, up and down the lineup, it, there are going to have to be changes. We also talked on the, uh, on the podcast that will uh, never be released. Tobias is shooting 50% of his shots from beyond the arc right now. He has leaned into the catch-and-shoot role-player role that Doc and basically the team, because they have James Harden and Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid, have dictated for him. And, you know, I 
I, I guess I, I didn't like the couple games where he was like, you know, he, he might have went like one for six from three and he scored like five points. And everybody's like, oh, my God, look at this contract or whatever. That's his role. His role yeah. is to bomb threes. Sometimes he's going to have very low scoring games. I think for the most part, he has bought into that role pretty well. Need to see a little more on the defensive end, blah, 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 all that stuff. He is going to get more responsibility now because yeah. the ball is not going to be in James Harden's hands the entire game, I, you know. And as we have seen in the past, like, I, I don't think that is going to win you a championship when Tobias yep. is running 10, 12 pick and rolls a game. But to get you through a month of the season when James Harden is hurt, he's certainly capable of doing. It. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, you know, everybody's going to have to take a step up. And the other big thing, which we, we've already kind of mentioned, but this team's problem right now is defense. Yeah. Harden is a big part of why the offense is good, too. But now you're putting DeAnthony Melton in for James Harden on defense, and you're hopefully getting Joel Embiid back. Start playing a little more conventionally. Start stopping some people. Yeah. You have the personnel yeah. to do it at a decent level. And if they can actually do that, I think they'll be okay here. Like I'm not predicting like you know, like an eight and two stretch here or anything like that. But they should be able to remain somewhat competitive. They they have the pieces here. It's you know, and look, this is uh, it's almost like the uh, the reward they've gotten for the. Uh, and when I say reward, quote unquote, it's the the punishment for uh, this crappy start that they've had. Okay, now now you actually have to prove it without Harden. And uh, I think there are the pieces here. I think they, like, look, pretty much this whole organization has been here. They understand what it's like to win shorthanded. Just got to do it. And, you know, Joe goes MVP mode as well. And that's, that's kind of what you're looking at right now. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's a great point. We're going to focus a lot on, like, when we talk about who needs to step up and who's going to get a bigger role. How about you defend your ass off? Like over the next 10 to 14 games, this should be a top five to 10 defense. Like, absolutely. They have the personnel to do it. If they are committed, if they get back in transition, if they communicate, none of which they've done at any point up to the season, but that's where they have to step up right now. They should be able to be competitive, good enough offensively. I think they have enough in Maxi and Harris to supplement Embiid, but you should be a very, very good night in, night out defense. This will be a chance for them to recapture the effort they're just not playing with yeah no that that washington that second game look great offense like you know the small ball unit really flowing well together with the space uh just an embarrassing defensive performance like i I get it you're shorthanded and i thought beal and porzingis both played very well so give them a little bit of credit but just embarrassing just not enough You, you, you you have to be more connected you have to just play harder yeah and to your point on Tobias and the and the, the, the non-release podcast, you know, we sort of mentioned, like, if Tobias is putting up those 20 points per game, it probably means you don't have enough offensive talent on your team to win a championship. I think that's still largely true. But like you said, you're not trying to win a playoff round here. You're not trying to win a championship. You're trying to navigate 14 regular season games. Just trying some to of get them, to December, man. Some of that's them against the do. Knicks, who you should be able to beat anyway. They have a... And look, there are some tough games coming up here in the stretch, too. You've got the Bucks. The Jazz are playing well. I'm not sure you'd necessarily call them making, but they're they're they've had some very good quality wins. Suns, uh, the Hawks, a couple times the Suns, and then you've got you know the Nets, the Magic twice. Like you've got winnable games as well. So yeah, yeah. It, you know I think a lot of people mentioned, oh man, like this is a daunting stretch of the schedule. It's like a pretty normal stretch yeah. of the NBA. Couple schedule, good games, couple really couple, easy co- games. couple bad ones. Yeah, uh, but look, play it, some it at looks, home, some on the road. You know, it looks daunting when you start the season like shit 
and they they generally have done that and and Harden being out but I look I I just think I th- there is a chance here that this stretch could be a lot of fun and Maxi scores a million points and things get awkward because they're actually guarding and they play well and you know December 5th or something like that Harden comes back and it's oh okay let's slow down the offense again and yeah I I think that that is I honestly I think it's probably the most likely outcome Honestly, it's it's going to be like, wow, Tyrese Maxey is unleashed and the Sixers held up and now they have to reintegrate this guy who has the ball in his hands the entire game. And, you know, I, I, I think that's definitely possible here. Yeah. And look, if they do, I hope I'm not sitting here saying, oh, well, that, that defensive improvement was all because James Harden was out. Because quite frankly, they were, there were so many, and look, I don't want to suggest that James Harden isn't a problem defensively. He's awful. People give him credit for his post-defense, and I agree his post-defense is good. It's also probably the least important thing for a guard. But it's mostly because <laughs> that's like, hey, just like stand there. And he's like, all right, I got this. Um, and he's strong as hell. He's that's strong, the only but there's no the communication needed. There's no movement needed. Like, it's right up his wheelhouse. That being said, there are so many other problems defensively with this team from personnel, from effort, from communication from dedication, getting back in transition. Like if they correct all of those, they should be able to integrate James Harden back into the roster and defend at a high level, at least in the regular season. Will there be playoff matchups you worry about with the the two munchkins on the perimeter? Yeah, of course, of course. But they should be a much better defense than they currently have been. It has not all been James Harden's doing in that regard. No, you just kind of wonder if, if removing him and putting in a better defender, really whoever it is, but a much better defender in Melton when, when they're starting games, just it's, it's, it's like, it's not Harden's fault, but because Maxi is there, it's almost like that's the, uh, that's the first domino that kind of sure brings the house down almost. It's, uh, you know, and maybe that ends up being the case. You're right though. And like, I'll keep going with the defensive stuff. Tobias Harris and PJ Tucker, like just play better defensively. Yep. I don't really have anything else to say besides that. Like they just PJ Tucker. I understand he has been playing small ball where look, that's a, that's a goofy position where you're supposed to be scram switching all the time. You are, you know, you're worried about protecting the rim, all those things like, look, they're playing the Knicks tonight. I assume PJ Tucker is going to be guarding RJ Barrett. Probably shut him down. I agree. Don't let Bradley Beal just go by you every every single play. Um, and I understand PJ is a little bit older. He's more of a kind of a physical wings guy at this point. But like, play, like PJ Tucker should not be playing better offensively than defensively, yeah. and that's what it's been for the past week. So, yeah, yeah. No, they've been they've been bad really across the board. Uh, speaking of bad defensively, the Paul Reed experience so far. He had I think a combined seven minutes against the Wizards. In a home and home where Porzingis shot over everyone in sight. Well, out of sight because they were so far below his eye level. Average 31 points. Sixers had mismatch after mismatch after mismatch that they couldn't navigate. And Harold played well in the first game, but really struggled offensively in the second game or really didn't make an impact in the second game. Paul Reed so far this year has been mostly MIA. Are you surprised about that at all? What are your thoughts on the backup center decisions? I'm not surprised just because they brought in Trez. And when this team brings in a veteran, 
They play that veteran. For a minimum yeah. contract, they, yeah. they play that guy. Yeah. They'll, At, they'll keep, uh, no, we won't, we won't go for that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> uh, especially at the position that we're talking about at backup center. Yeah, when they bring in a veteran and they bring him in for a minimum salary and convince the guy with who probably had some options to go other places for that, you know, small salary or maybe a little bit more, they play him. Yeah, he spoke about that having an option in Boston and not not having an interest there because he didn't feel like the role that they proposed benefited both sides. Um, so yeah, for sure. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. You know, so I, uh, look, Trez. He did play well in that that Monday game was his best performance of the the season. His energy was really good. He was on the court when they went on what was it like an eighteen two run at the end of that uh, third quarter, early fourth quarter. It was like really good basketball, and he was especially like with the way Washington was playing. They were trapping a lot on the perimeter. James Harden was finding him for the role. Uh, yeah, he that I think that suited him well, and he he filled that role well. He had a couple blocks on Gafford too. Like he was even playing some defense. Okay, the problem is. That is pretty much by far the best he has played this year. And, you know, we kind of spoke about this before the season. It's like, oh, this is going to be awkward because you have two guys who can reasonably play, like who, you know, we expected to play pretty well in that role. But we also thought, okay, but Trez is the veteran. They they promised him to come here. That's just the way this works. Doc has history with him, all that stuff. The problem is Trez is not playing right now. So... If you're going to continue to give him minutes, like, then this actually becomes an issue. Um, I, I didn't mind playing him to start the game against Washington, uh, the second game, because he played well the, the game before. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Paul, Paul Reed does not seem to be a part of the rotation. I don't know if Paul Reed would have solved the Sixers' defensive issues the other night. Like, sometimes you throw him in and. They continue to score. He picks up, you know, a couple of fouls. But sometimes you throw him in and he just causes havoc and he he changes the tenor of the game in terms of his, uh, you know, just his defensive activity. And I, uh, 
look, I, I think he's probably a better playoff player than Trez. I understand why people want him in the game. I'm, I'm not on the fire doc train for not playing Paul Reed in one game when they go two and one without Embiid. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I, I think it's an awkward situation. And if Trez does not play better, that then it's going to become a lot more awkward because if they keep trotting him out, then that starts to get into the negligence territory where, you know, yeah. Paul Reed is a better player than Trez. No, I mean, it, it you know, I, I agree with you. Starting the second Washington game with Trez as the backup center, I thought made some sense given the success he had there in the first game. But that's, but also, r- real quick, that's also a problem because I'm saying that and I'm thinking in my head, okay, like, Starting it makes sense, but if he has a bad half, pull Paul, like pull him and put Paul Reed. They just have this weird situation where that's how you have these guys playing one half in each game, and that's just yeah, that's not the way this should go. No, but I I think my my bigger takeaway is it's just like with Embiid out two games, Paul Reed pretty much not playing and not being a real part of the rotation, a consistent part at any point in the season. On the one hand, it feels very much like what we expected when the season started. Like, they signed Trez to play Trez. Uh, Paul Reed is probably going to be largely out of the rotation, which brought up concerns of whether or not you would be comfortable playing him and he would be ready to play in the playoffs. And it's playing out like that, which is a little bit disappointing, especially since Embiid has missed three games now. On the other hand, Trez has not been as good as expected. And yeah, he had that good game against Washington. He had a couple good games here of late. But when he's not playing well, he looks really, really bad. Because when he's not getting the ball in those roles and given a chance to score, he adds no value on the floor. He might get a block or two almost by luck every now and then, but he's a real bad defensive player who's not really a, a contributor on the defensive glass either. So, And he's certainly not spacing the floor. So it's just, it's, it's sort of falling. It, it, it's like Doc almost gave everyone who wanted a different style of play some false hope there in the preseason. And then the regular season has played out almost exactly how we would expect it. The problem is what we expected, we don't believe will translate in the playoffs. And we're just left here going, well, you're going to get into another playoff run and go, well, it's tough to play Paul Reed because he barely played when you're the one making the decision not to play Paul Reed. And it's it's uh, it's frustrating because I, I don't think Trez is going to be a viable solution in the playoffs. I just, they're going to pick him apart. Yeah, and I'm not ready to go to the playoff part yet. There's still a lot of season left. There like, is. But, I just, it's just because I don't, why would you have confidence that they're going to change? Well, they didn't last year, so, it, you know. Probably even a worse player than Trez is. Right oh, 100%. 100%. Now. Yeah, no, it's it's not trending in the right direction. I, I would agree with you there. It's, I mean, p- part of the reason that Paul Reed is not playing is that Doc likes the small ball lineup, which on the one hand, like, I like that. Like, I I, I think in the playoffs, that should be the, the group. Not sure I like if, it for 35 minutes a night when Embiid's out, but I like it. I like yeah. It. Uh, and I also don't like that they give up a thousand points per game when they play that that unit. I mean, yeah, it was we we looked at the the cleaning the glass numbers on this this pod that we keep mentioning. I think it was like one twenty four offensive rating, one nineteen defensive yep. rating. Which yep. hey, look, half of it's really good. Yep. But the other half, and that Washington game was the perfect example. Like they just kept scoring and scoring and scoring, and you turn around and Washington's doing the same thing 
in a slightly easier fashion. And yep. it's just like, this is not sustainable. It's and just not. To be fair, the cleaning glass numbers are pretty similar to Trez. They are actually outscoring opponents when he's on the floor. The sample size is still low enough where I don't necessarily put too much stock into that. Trez is shooting 42% at the rim right now. Yeah, it's not Which great. is. Does he look like he's lost a little bit of juice? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, again, I, it's small sample, all that stuff, but he is getting good looks, like kind of contested layups that he used to make in his sleep. Yeah. You know, everybody, everybody brings up the six man of the year. The reason he scored all those points to win six man of the year was he would run pick and roll with Lou Williams and he would like draw contact and make the layup. That's what he would do or dunk or something like that. And he's... I don't know, man. He's getting spoon-fed pretty easy looks, and they're just not going in. So, yeah, I think Paul Reed should play more. Uh, I'm not. I'm not giving up on the fact that he won't play, though. I, I if Trez continues to be this bad, I, I just think he, as much as Doc and you know the coaching staff, whatever they they love their veterans, they love their guys who have been there before. All of those things. Paul Reed is a guy who has been there before in real stuff, yeah. and. Yeah. Uh, so, so I have a little bit more hope that uh, if Trez continues to play poorly, they they are going to go back to uh, to read at some point. Back to the point on using net ratings here this early in the season. Part of the reason the Sixers have a positive net rating with Trez on the floor is because they are out shooting opponents forty seven percent to thirty two percent from three. Uh, when you out shoot opponents by that much, you're probably going to outscore them. Again, that second Washington game notwithstanding. Uh, but the sample size is low enough where you can't. That's not necessarily an indication of how well they're playing. Going by my eyes, I don't trust those net ratings almost at all. Um, and I would just like to see them experiment more. Like you brought up a couple podcasts ago, like lose a different way in that Washington game down a stretch. Yeah, your offense probably isn't going to be as good with uh, with Reed on the floor, but you might actually have a chance of like accidentally walking into a stop or two, which down the stretch you had no chance of doing that. So just, like, lose a different way. Just try it. Just try it. I'm with you, man. Anyway, uh, any any other quick thoughts here? I think we'll probably keep this one a little bit short, in part because there's a game here in not too long, and in part because I just talked to you for 45 minutes, uh, and I don't need to do that two days in a row. No offense. Dude, you know what's crazy? If you look at the uh, the on-off numbers, the besides Shake, the, the two highest guys are Harold and Reed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In very different ways. Trez Trez is plus 6.4, but they're scoring a ton. And Reed is plus 5.8, and they're just stopping people, but he's only played 25 minutes. So, like you said, that doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, look, I uh, I think uh, this is a very important stretch for, for Embiid and Maxi. I am not hitting the panic button yet because I think they frankly should have enough to... They should. But... If, you know, it is a tough time to get hit with the schedule, in part because you didn't give yourself any kind of a cushion there with your start. Games that you should have won, you didn't win. So now if, if you just go, you know, 500 over this next stretch or maybe a game or two under 500, and you're looking at yourself, you know, what would they be? Like 11 and 12 or something when James Harden returns? Like, you're not hitting the panic button, but you're you're concerned. You're concerned. They have to play well, and to do that, they're going to have to play better defensively. Yeah. These uh, habits cannot linger they can't linger anymore so yeah not hitting the panic button but also not assuming that everything's going to be fine because they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt frankly for that uh so we'll see um it's certainly going to look a lot different i think that's the the one thing that is it's not that james harden is a bad player but he's a very idiosyncratic player where you have to 
build an offense kind of around how he wants and he has the ball and sometimes it's a little slow the pace is slow they're they're gonna have to play a lot differently but uh they can still win they, they still have enough to win that way that's that's my main point here all right well thank you rich for jumping on we will talk to you soon and for the last time this year win or lose go phil's see you man go phil's when you are down, lift your head off the ground. There's a lot to be learned, so look around. Once there was a silly old ant, thought he'd move a rubber tree plant. Anyone knows an ant can't move a rubber tree plant, but he had high hopes. He had high hopes. He had High apple pie in the sky. Hope so when you start to feel it low. Instead of letting go, just remember that ant. Whoop, there goes another rubber tree. Up there goes another rubber tree. Whoop, there goes another rubber tree plant. <laughs>